Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning to the planetoid, the great zone, the plane of existence, but it's not planar, it's an orbis, right? Good morning to the seas, the oceans that spread out beyond the great horizon. Good morning to the jungle people that live in the treetops hunting monkey flesh. Good morning to the Eskimos that, I don't know what they do now. Maybe they move to Florida. Maybe Florida moves to them. Good morning to the moon. I'm told you're there. I'm told you exist. You must be there. We landed there once, right? Good morning. It is July the 25th, 2021. Can you believe it? It is Founders Day weekend here in Utah. On some date in 1808, Boblimpdok. On some date in the ancient past when cowboy lords and rattlesnake kings. They ruled the wilderness between here and the great sea and the great river and the great sky. Yes, in the year 18 Oppoblimptok, the Mormon folk of the Eastern world were driven away. People threw rocks at them. They threw rotten tomatoes. Yes, the Mormons were driven away. They said, we have to head west. We got to head west. If we head west, we can find our, our country, the land we can live in. Yes, round about this time of year, in the age of 18 Oppo Blimpdok, when the scruggly folk of the eastern kingdoms of the United States were told they needed to go west because nobody loved them anymore, They were driven from their cities. They were driven from their towns. They were driven from their marinas. They were driven from their trailer parks. They were told to head west if they get there someplace in the distance. There is a promised land. That is what Joseph Smith said, right? Or, or Brigham Young. You see, I'm an expert. And they did. They loaded up their wagon trains and they headed west. They headed for some land beyond, some land of the soul, the mind, some creative place where they could languish in their religion. When they hit the Rocky Mountains, they had to eat their horses and their cats and their dogs. 
By the time they made it to the great deserts west of the Uinta Mountains, by the time they survived the struggles of the Uinta Mountains, by the time they rose up, by the time they got beyond those mountains, they saw their land. And there was nobody there. Well, you know, almost nobody, right? Just a bunch of Native Americans who were living there for thousands of years. Yes, for thousands of years, Boblimtok, there had been Native Americans living in the Promised Land, but Brigham Young said they were invisible. So yeah, it's Founders Day weekend in Utah. I am not Mormon, nor do I know the lore or the mythology or the <clears throat> general studies of Mormonism. Uh, Mormons are fine people, good people. Everyone needs to have a sense of humor. I don't know what happened. I'm pretty certain there were Native Americans here, but I don't know if they were rounded up and murdered and dumped someplace in Vernal. I don't know that there's a secret mass grave in Vernal, Utah, somewhere underneath the Walmart, but there could be. A place of bones and restless spirits, a place of minds let loose from the coils of this mortal coil. Yeah, the spirits run loose in the Walmart. The Walmart in Vernal. And that's what we celebrate this weekend. A secret mass grave. Somewhere in Vernal. Nobody talks about it. Not politely. Nobody talks about it politely, but somewhere out there, probably based upon patterns of behavior I hypothesize, there's a few secret mass graves. Let's talk about that for a second. We all know that it's all fun and games on the planetary status report. And I'm all, I'm all about joking around. But you also know that we like to discuss, well, our abilities to perceive the truth. Or to see through the lies. And it's not easy to see through the lies. But we have to learn how. You know what I mean? So, if you think about what happened in the 19th century to Native Americans, if you really ponder it, if you think about all the roads, all the public good roads we built that we could march Native Americans on to the reservation, yeah, if you think about everything that happened that we know about, and then you consider the reality of government, that they're not going to ever remotely tell you the truth if they can avoid it. 
They'll avoid telling you banal truths, truths that are irrelevant. They'll, they'll screw up truths that just shouldn't even matter. But when it comes to things that matter, you should only and ever expect lies from government. Sorry, all of it, pretty much lies. So what's the likelihood that there could be several mass graves all across the United States of America, every state, every territory, there's probably a mass burial ground, not consecrated, not consecrated, not represented, not understood, not remembered. There is no cenotaph, there is no marker. But all across this country, there are probably mass graves of Native Americans, and probably even a few of African Americans. And yeah, it's probably not something we'd ever want to really discover, you know? They, they probably would be hard to find over time, even bones kind of break apart. So, you know, depending upon the conditions, you might not find them. But if you went digging around this country, with any type of deliberate intention, I would not be surprised if you wouldn't find hundreds of mass graves. Hundreds. And this isn't because I think uh, Americans in the 19th century were evil. I don't think ordinary Americans wanted to do any of those things. I do believe there is a possibility that the type of propaganda that the Easterners were exposed to, the kind of Tri the triumphalist, you know, manifest destiny propaganda that, you know, basically described Native Americans as invariably savage and dangerous, you know, invariably they're murderous killers. If you actually consider the historical record, that's ironic, but that is what, if you opened up a newspaper, if you opened up a journal in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, all the way to the the year 1900, you know, well past Wounded Knee, but right up to Wounded Knee. If you were to read the newspaper, the Native Americans, even up until the end of the 19th century, were described in terms that were dehumanizing. They were subhuman. They were not people to be remembered or cared about. In, you know, actually, if you really think about it, the way that Native Americans were described, maybe it wasn't on purpose, but it very much matches the propaganda of the early 1930s in Germany. It, you know, here's the thing. The, the final solution, where they deliberately decided to kill millions of Jews, that plan didn't come into to effect until after the Bonsi Conference, which I think was in 1942, Boblintok. And so the final solution to kill all the Jews that were left in Germany and other places, 1942. Prior to that, it was concentration camps and ghettos. And that was pretty bad because a lot of Jewish people were murdered in concentration camps and ghettos. But the actual technical death camps didn't come into effect until after 42. Not important, not relevant, murder is murder, but I point this out because it's a multi-stage process. At first, you get exposed to propaganda that dehumanizes. At first, you get exposed to literature that makes the Jew or the Native American or the African American or a person who is homosexual. At first, you get propaganda that makes them seem subhuman. And then after that, after a few years of that, after you've actually raised a generation of two or two in a public school where you tell them that these people are subhuman, after maybe one generation perhaps, which means basically, if you were a kid in 1932, if you were a teenager, let's say, by the time World War II kicks off, not only do you understand that, you know, a whole bunch of people aren't really human, but hey, you've, that's all you've been exposed to. And if you lived in the East, in the United States, if you lived in the Eastern States, and you read the newspaper, and you said to yourself, I want to go West, 
Your imagination told you that if you see an Indian, you shoot. If you see a Native American, you kill the Native American. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what the literature said. They're monsters. After several generations, it's not surprising that by the time you get the wounded knee, you have cavalry, United States Army, that have no issue murdering hundreds of people, killing people left and right, men, women, and children. So yeah, this weekend is Pioneer, Pioneer Weekend, Pioneer Day. We celebrate when the Mormons got to Utah. We know nobody was there. We won't talk about it. Or the grave in Vernal, Utah. Under the Walmart. Under the Walmart, maybe. Next topic. So my friend Justin, who is my friend, but I also rent a room from him. I'm living in Utah with him here um, and his, you know, his girlfriend and whatnot, but I'm renting a room. My friend Justin um, is into shortwave. He actually got me interested in putting the Little Saigon Report, which is now the Planetary Status Report, on shortwave radio, WRMI, 59.50 kilohertz. If you're listening, could be Saturday night, could be Sunday night, but it should be between 3 and 4 a.m. UTC or 11 p.m. and midnight Eastern Standard Time. But my friend Justin got me interested. He said, why don't you, given all the censorship, given what's going on, why don't you put your podcast, you know, on the radio, so to speak, on shortwave? And it's been rough. One, I can't swear as much, and I still swear. And I'm certain that at some point, if it's relevant, someone's going to count all the, the F-bombs. And there's probably a giant swear jar at the FCC building, wherever that is. And that giant swear jar for me has just got all kinds of IOUs. I owe them, I owe them so much now. Their swear jar. So my friend Justin got me interested. That's how we, you know, more or less um, connected. He was listening to my podcast. Uh, he liked it. He thought that it was something that would be cool on shortwave radio. So now, if, you li if you're listening on 5950 kilohertz and it's Saturday or Sunday night, you're listening to WRMI. And it's out of Miami Okeechobee and you're listening to this and that's great. That is great. I'm, I'm happy about it. So far, it's worked out okay. Not perfect. I made a mistake swapping out a show. I made a mistake. I didn't swap out the show yesterday. So if you were listening last night, that would be July the 24th, I believe. Let me double check because I might be going insane. Yep. If you were listening on July the 24th to the Planetary Status Report, you probably heard last week's show again, last Sunday's show again. That's okay. And before we go too far, if you're looking for the notes for this podcast broadcast and you're listening on shortwave, you can go to dfgtc.org. That's Delta, Foxtrot, Golf, Tango, Charlie, dot org slash show notes that's delta foxtrot golf tango charlie dot org slash show notes you can go there pick the right date you'll get the notes for the right show okay So my friend Justin got me into this, um, and so we're doing WRMI. 
And by the way, if you want to donate to this show, you can. Um, there's a link on the show notes page to donate Dr. Freckles at PayPal. You can go ahead and do that if you want to. You're not obligated to. Please, by all means, take care of food, water, shelter. Take care of the people you love. Take care of all your priorities. And if you have any money left over, you can donate. And believe me, you can donate as much as you want to. At this point in human history, if you're a gazillionaire and you want to give me 85 gorillion dollars, I can't promise you I won't use it all on cocaine and hookers. I can't promise you I won't spend it all in one weekend in Vegas. But I can promise you something. Everything turns to dust. I can't promise you I won't form a guerrilla army. I can't promise you I won't marry a queen. I can't promise you. Anywho, one thing that my friend Justin recommended we do, and I think it's a great idea, is that we talk about shortwave radio. Number one, technically, you need a ham radio license to broadcast on shortwave, but in reality, if you have a transceiver, that's a, a receiver transmitter, uh, under emergency conditions, you can in fact, broadcast, you can reach out for help, and under emergency conditions, or rather, if you're running a test of an emergency network, you can connect as an unlicensed amateur. Now, there's still a lot to learn, and if you're interested in learning more, I can connect you with my friend Justin. Just email me, that's me at imsully.com. Just full disclosure, I am not a shortwave expert. I suppose I did a fair amount of radio work when I was in the military, a long time ago. Dragon Slayer 1. Dragon Slayer 1. This is Dragon Slayer 2 over. Dragon Slayer 2. This is Dragon Slayer 1. Form up Troop 7. Load up the laser cannons. Get a hold of the stun grenades. We're invading Dimension 8. We are invading Dimension 8, people. So form up. No, I'm kidding around, right? What we're doing after the show, and, and we're doing it after the show right now, but if things go sideways, and I think, brothers and sisters, you know what I mean by sideways, but even if things go a little sideways, which means, you know, we get some blackouts, we get some shortages, we get some heat waves, we get a few firestorms, maybe we get a nuclear attack. the situation is. You know, life is life is unpredictable, brothers and sisters, and disasters, both small and big, can befall us anytime. And if you're looking around at the stage of human civilization in the year 2021, Bo Blimtok, if you're listening to the mayor of Washington, D.C., Joseph Biden, you might get the feeling that things are going kind of awry, and I think they are. So the question you're asking is, why would I be interested in shortwave radio? Um, really, the really interesting question is, why do they do everything they can to kind of suppress interest? Because they really do. There's a lot that goes on in the world of ham radio that kind of keeps people away. And so I actually think, um, my friend Justin is right, and that they really don't want people participating in shortwave. And they don't want people definitely expanding that particular world beyond a certain scope of group of people who mostly are ex, you know, a lot of just ex-military government zealot types. So bottom line is not all of them, but some of them out there. I'm sure I angered a few, a few voters.
every Saturday, Sunday night until further notice, um, starting at 4 a.m., 4 a.m. UTC, 4 to 5 a.m. UTC, or mid midnight to 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, after the show, essentially, after the planetary status report, on 7235 kilohertz, that's on or about 7235 kilohertz, we will be managing an emergency network. We call it the Agorist Emergency Network. I didn't pick the name to be fancy. I, I kept it to just tell people what it is. It is a voluntary emergency network. We were on tonight for about for an hour, and we got about 13 contacts. Um, they weren't perfect. A few of them were broken up, so the call signs are not perfect. But we got enough contacts tonight that we're seeing that the, we're seeing that there's potential here. So if you want to, and you have a shortwave radio, try to call in. Saturday, Sunday night, um, midnight, Eastern Standard Time, 7235 kilohertz. Try to call in. Give us your call sign. We'll be reaching out on that frequency. There's more information in the notes. And if you are listening on shortwave radio to WRMI out of Miami, Okeechobee, if you're listening on shortwave radio, you're listening to WRMI out of Miami, out of the great swamps of Florida, there's probably some seminal Indian mass graves there, right? Or probably the alligators ate up all the evidence. It's in the alligator poop. That's where the truth is. Deep in the swamp. Yes, from the swamps of Okeechobee comes 5950 kilohertz WRMI. And if you're listening and you want to get to the notes for this broadcast, podcast, whatever, you can go to Delta Foxtrot Golf Tango Charlie.org slash show notes. And next topic Folgers Coffee. Folgers Coffee. Tastes great in the morning. Tastes great after you're waking up of, after a whole long night of drinking and whoring and rock and roll pizza parties. Rock and roll pizza parties. Yeah, gross. Folgers Coffee. Anywho, um, I've discussed this on my podcast before, and I've talked to other folks like my friend Justin and other friends of mine about this. And my friend Jim and I talked about this a lot in several of the podcasts we've done. And that is the, the weird phenomena of logistical behavior during the age of the monkey herpes or the COVID. I call it the monkey herpes because I don't, I don't think it's real. I think it's a psyop. I'm sure I just offended a bunch of people that think they got the monkey herpes or they were told their grandma died of the monkey herpes. What I'm pretty certain of is you're being lied to. But if you really need to believe in the monkey herpes, fine. There have been consequences of this pandemic. And these logistical consequences, these supply chain consequences are not always obvious. And they, they can be rather strange. The reason why they might seem strange is that a lot of folks, a lot of Americans believe that we have free enterprise, that we have capitalism. We do not. We have a managed economy. We have a little bit of freedom to make a few narrow choices. But when it comes to the general structure of our economy, I call us, you know, basically neo-Stalinist. We're Stalinist in the sense that it's planned. We're neo-Stalinist in the sense that I suppose you could say the planning is more efficient. But not really, because the outcomes are always the same. The outcomes are always destructive. One of the weird phenomena that my friend mentioned a while back had to do with Folgers Coffee. Like right after the, the monkey herpes pandemic started, circa March, February, March 2020, Boblimtok, right about that time, the price of Folgers seemed to spike. It went up, you know, for that standard Folgers sort of big plastic can. Um, he, I don't know, I think he said it was like, you know, 10 bucks, 12 bucks went up. And then a few months later, it dropped. It dropped, it, you know, it seemed like it went down by half and it was weird. And one of the things I think that people don't get is that one of the phenomena that occurs in a planned economy 
where the supply chain is breaking down is what I would call the sputter. The sputter is a lot like a fuel pump that's broken. You get, you, what you get is inconsistent flow. Inconsistent flow, you know, when your prostate's too big. Yeah, so essentially, one day, there's almost no Folgers coffee. And then a few months later, there's too much Folgers coffee. And then a few months after that, there's a lot less Folgers coffee. And it will do that until the fuel pump gives out. It'll sputter and it will inconsistently deliver flow until there's just no more Folgers coffee at all. Um, but again, 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 this is the channel that you don't, you're not supposed to listen to. You should tune into CNN. CNN will tell you exactly what you want to hear. If you want to hear happy, shiny, there will always be food at the grocery store because there always has been, even though the concept of a supermarket is a 20th century thing. And you know, there have been a couple other centuries, a couple before, you know, just two or three. But yeah, some people believe that grocery stores are forever, like diamonds are forever. And what I'm inclined to tell you as I gulp my herbal tea what I'm inclined to explain or tell you or mansplain, rather dansplain, I'm dansplaining. Yeah. Um, here's what I'm incli inclined to say as I dansplain when it comes to these types of issues. I know that it's easier to believe in the monkey herpes. I know it's easier to believe in the Ian Miles wrong, Andy no clue, commie invasion. Even though it's a government construct, you wanna believe it because these things that they're giving you to be afraid of, they're dumb and they're insignificant. And, and in the end, it really is just trauma drama. And for a lot of people, it's it's almost a kind of weird and gross fetishistic um, fascination. It's almost entertainment. It's surprising how many people in America today are actually getting off on the mass stuff, on the turning on each other type stuff, on the dehumanization schemes. I mean, if you look at the news, we're basically being told that people that don't want one of these experimental lobster man vaccines should be prevented from participating in society. All of this is absurd. All of this is 100% unenforceable nonsense, which again, people don't care because they don't see past the fear. The fear of the unenforceable nonsense on an unconscious level is so much easier to deal with than me explaining to people the grocery store could be empty one day. You do not live in a free enterprise economy. The amount of tension in the system that has been built up at this point pretty much implies that if there is a crash, I don't think there will be, most likely what it's going to be is a complete freeze up, blow out, it'll be a massively chaotic event and it'll probably take seven to 10 business days and it'll all be over. And at the end of that period of time, the US dollars toast. And that particular seven to 10 day period could be next week. It could be next month. I seriously doubt it's gonna be 10 years from now. But do I think there's going to be a slow descent into hell? Do I think we are on our way to graceful degradation? No. Because graceful degradation requires graceful, decentralized systems that are capable of a level of response, a level of creative response to reality. This is not the neo-Stalinist hellhole we live in. It is incapable of doing those things. So there will be no graceful degradation. We will not slowly fall apart. What we will experience is the existential reality of a balloon filled with helium getting to 120,000 
feet, blowing apart, popping open, and every atom of helium accelerating in every direction to nothingness, to pixie dust. Next topic. The transaction is king. This is a quote from Dr. Freckles. And another good quote from Dr. Freckles, and I believe it, you know, it's probably going to come up in another podcast, so I'll leave it to that one. But yeah, the transaction is king. What does that mean? People, human beings, conducted commerce long before we had any real notion of money the way we understand it today. In fact, maybe a better way of putting it, people traded with each other way before we ever used gold or silver for, for money. People traded with each other thousands of years before they ever even conceived of printed money or representational money. So if you go back, if you believe the record and humans came into existence roughly a quarter of a million years ago, and we began forming tribal type societies maybe 70 to 100,000 years ago, probably right about the same time we became human, according to whatever anthropologist you listen to, when humans began to interact as tribes with each other, and I don't know when this began, maybe 10,000 years ago, maybe 20,000 years ago, but when human tribes began to trade, they did so without gold and silver necessarily. They did so definitely without fiat currency. They might have traded gold and traded silver, but even then it wasn't the same concept. What was always critical and what was always there first was the trade. Always. This is something Keynesians don't get. Like, you know, Paul Krugman, he's the kind of guy that believes you could load printing presses into boxes with parachutes, drop them on poor countries, and suddenly they can become rich. Because all they have to do is print money. But brothers and sisters, we all know that's a lie. Because if you're not one of the welcome ones, one of the recognized ones, you don't get to print money. What, what gets to happen to you eventually is we start dropping bombs on you. So actually, the Keynesians... Um, they kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth. They talk about how it's okay to print the money, but it's not necessarily okay for everybody. It's okay for some people. Yeah, that kind of sounds racist. But here's what the Keynesians, and I know a lot of crypto freaks will get angry with me, but here's what a lot of Keynesians and crypto people don't get. The transaction... The trade was king thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, well before what we call the modern age, the transaction between two or more people, the trade between two or more people, the commerce between, between people was always there. It was always first. It was always critical. It is king. The transaction is king. The problem with crypto people is they think the coin is king. They think the mere existence of the coin means there's value, and that's not really true. It's, you know, in fact, maybe we should think about gold and silver for a second. The mere existence of gold and silver in the ground does not make you rich. It doesn't. You could have a giant chunk of territory with massive amounts of gold. But if you can't access it, and what can be almost as bad, if you can only access it at a very slow rate, it doesn't matter. Because what people want to do is trade. Okay? Now, travel in your time machine from ancient times to now, 2021. And, and again, the economy is so destroyed, these conversations seem pointless. But let's say you happen to have the one coffee shop in your town that still is running and, isn't, and, and is not a Starbucks. What you need and want from your money, so to speak, is that the transactions clear and they clear quickly. Nobody wants to wait to find out if they're going to get paid. 
Nobody wants to wait to find out what the balance on their account is. I'm sorry, they don't. They don't want to wait. And the thing is, whether or not Visa and MasterCard can do hundreds of thousands of transactions per second or just thousands upon thousands per second, they're still way faster. The clearing houses that work for the banks and the credit card companies are still faster. Okay, sorry. They're, they're crooked and they're neo-Stalinist and they're evil and they're still faster than these crypto networks because at least they understand something that the crypto networks really decided to start understanding, I don't know, almost a decade into the little experiment. And that is the transaction is king. It always was, it always will be. I don't care, really, what you pay me with as long as it spends. I don't care what you pay me with as long as I can buy a cup of coffee and it doesn't take an hour to pay for it. It, you know, I, in some ways, all I want you to do is pay me for my work and allow me to use that work to do whatever I want to do with it privately, period. That's what I want from a transaction. From a peer-to-peer -peer transaction, I want to pay someone or get paid, and I don't want it to be anyone else's business, including the blockchain that exists forever, the transaction's king. If you have a fetish around a crypto coin, that is your psychological issue, brothers and sisters. But the transaction is king. The coin is the second-class citizen. Next topic. Next topic, oh boy, this is terrible. And again, actually, I think this turned out to be BS, but there's the headline, there's a link in the notes to this, but the headline is Japan constructs cardboard beds to prevent Tokyo Olympic athletes from being physically intimate amid the COVID-19, AKA monkey herpes, AKA BS PSYOP pandemic. Sorry for the translation. And if you want to read this article, you can. I believe it turned out to be crap in the end, but it's interesting. You know, these cardboard beds that they're making that are environmentally better than a bed. You know, it seems like a bed that was designed to last, that you could reuse, would be more environmentally sound than a cardboard bed that will likely end up in a dump or as likely as not, end up on, you know, Craigslist or Etsy. People selling, listen, I w I'm a gymnast. I'm a sexy gymnast, male or female or something. My cardboard bed soaked up the oils and greases of my exercise power. If you sleep on my cardboard bed, you will have Olympic sweat, sweat juices. And sure, we had sex on our cardboard bed. Now they're covered in semen. <laughs> we had sex. Now they're covered in grease and oil of Olay. Yeah, I don't want to spend time on this. It's just every day, brothers and sisters, there's some new form of drek, propaganda, scrolopulous, some new kind of grumbo. They dump down your throat. They feed you this garbage and you're expected to believe it. Whatever it is, the race war, the pandemic, the Russians, the Chinese, you know, hackers. Hackers are causing the supply chain issues. No, brothers and sisters, reality is causing supply chain issues. Next topic. Healthcare heroes. Wow, healthcare heroes. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, 
But, you know, I was reading something online the other day, and it was one of these sob story articles about how there's a nursing shortage and there's not enough nurses. And that's great if it's true. I don't know that it's true. I've checked with other people. When I saw the situation at Harborview last year, and if you don't know, Harborview Medical Center is like the principal level one trauma center in the Pacific Northwest. It is essentially the county hospital for Seattle. And other than a lot of street theater and setting up a National Guard tent for a couple weeks, nothing changed. Now, were there helicopter flights coming in later on and life flights and ambulances? Sure. But I would tell you, those were heart attacks and strokes, suicides, drug overdoses, most likely. Sorry. I don't think there was any COVID at all. No, nothing. Sorry. Didn't see it. I lived in Chinatown. I lived in transient housing. I'm sorry. You know, I saw no indication that you would probably see if you've studied any history of a plague or pandemic. And once I started seeing the dancing nurses, it was all over. Because I don't even know if those videos contain one single actual nurse. As likely as not, it's improv teams. It's different groups of artistic freaks getting paid to pretend to, to LARP nurses dancing around. But in any case, if we were in a real pandemic, I don't think the nurses would have time to dance. And if there's a nursing shortage in a real pandemic, I really think the nurses would not have time to choreograph dance schemes, I kind of think. What do you think? But you know what we're fed? We're fed the healthcare hero garbage. I've worked for hospitals. I've worked around doctors and nurses. The nicest thing you can say about doctors and nurses is that their general ethics might match the population. But in fact, I find the population of doctor and doctors and nurses ethically. I'm not talking about education. I'm not talking about how much money they make. I'm talking about the moral compass, the moral compass in the brain of a nurse or a doctor. I find it to be about equivalent to the carny freak. You know, the, the people that run the machine that's rusty and throwing bolts, but you still give your kids five bucks so they can ride on that thing? The person running it with a cigarette on the tip of their lip, they're, they're sipping a mill of light as they run the one or two levers they're granted access to. I don't believe the healthcare hero garbage. Sorry. It I think that maybe there was a day and age where you could say a lot of doctors and nurses cared about patients, but what we have now is a business. And we have people making money, and we have a crooked system. We have a neo-stalinist hellhole, and within that we have the healthcare system and it's broken every which way but loose. There I could I could spend all day podcasting about the things I saw working in the healthcare system. So no, I don't believe in the healthcare hero garbage. I, I was in on a meeting at a major hospital about 10 years ago where they explicitly said they did not care if the infectious disease reports were accurate. These are reports that would tell nurses post-op to not put a person in a room where there had been a hospital-acquired infection, like MRSA, for example, okay? Um, you don't want to put a person post-op, especially if they're elderly, for example, you don't want to put a person like that in the room where little Jimmy or little Mary had the fungal infection or the MRSA or the E. coli or something worse, yeah. I was told it was no big deal. I was told, don't ask about it, Dan. It doesn't matter. Now, you want me to believe in healthcare heroes in the year 2021, and what I'm telling you is those same people are probably still mostly working at that same hospital. By all means, explain to me how they're healthcare heroes. They did not care a decade ago, that they would kill people 
okay, rather than confront a vendor on some software that was flawed. They would rather not confront the vendor. They would rather just take the, what you would call it, you know, do the roulette wheel. Some percentage of people will be put in the wrong room at the wrong time, get the wrong infection, and have a very wrong day. So yeah, tell me again about the healthcare heroes. Next topic. Supply chain pixelation. So what is supply chain pixelation? We've talked about it. Now, we've already talked about the sputtering early in the podcast, you know, where the fuel pump is broken. So you, you get these weird spikes. One week, there's too much Folgers. So much Folgers one week. Folgers coffee on sale. Buy one, get two free. And then several weeks later, there's no Folgers at all. Or it's really expensive. That would be the sputtering fuel pump. That's the phenomena. It's a wave pattern. In a planned economy, when things fall apart, if you start seeing that, that, doesn't, that means bad things are coming. Another sort of symptom of this in a planned economy is pixelation. What does that mean? Well, if you have a high-definition TV set, pixelation is where every once in a while the screen kind of goes blank or half blank or you see a bunch of black big black squares. And what this means is, is that the digital signal, the digital TV signal, um, high definition or whatnot, that digital signal came in incomplete. It didn't have all its bits. And because of that, it could not complete a picture. So you get pixelation. It had some of the bits, but not all of them, which means that the supply of bits did not stop. It's just some of them weren't there. Okay, now go to your grocery store and look at the aisles. Look at the items that are missing. Look at the items that went missing and then came back. That's a little different from sputtering. Sputtering is where you still have a flow of Folgers. It's just that it's inconsistent flow. Pixelation is more like you have it and then you just don't. On, off, on, off, until you just don't have it. And it could be anything. It could be a kind of noodle. It could be a kind of coffee coconut drink. It could be a part you need. It could be tires. It could be Toyo tires. I had someone tell me a story about some company supposedly buying the last few thousand Toyo tires in the country a few weeks ago. That's weird. But whatever it is, pixelation is where it's gone for a while and then comes back. Shortage is when it's just gone. Completely. And one of the things about this pixelation thing, a lot of folks want to say, oh, it's, well, it's about the COVID or how we responded. No, no, no. I started seeing this 10 years ago. How many of you folks noticed about a decade ago the arrival of, of the, of the sushi island. You remember how that sushi island just showed up? Right in the middle of the produce section? You remember that sushi little island with the sushi lady? It just showed up in the middle of the produce section. anyways, here's my theory. I can't prove it because I don't have access to the data. So it's simply a supposition. It's just a conjecture. I cannot prove it. But here's what I suppose. I think about 10 years ago, I started noticing fewer selections of certain things, like apples, for example. When I was a kid, especially in the, you know, yeah, when I was a kid, 70s and 80s, especially in the 80s, but 70s and 80s, when I was a kid, if you went to the grocery store, there wasn't one kind of apple. There wasn't two kinds of apples. There was like usually six or seven, maybe eight. Now there's usually two or three, maybe. 
And so my theory is about 10 years ago, some of these things started happening. They could no longer provide you with the seven or eight kinds of apples, the nine or 10 kinds of oranges, the five or six kinds of celery or lettuce, that things had kind of gone awry already. I noticed shrinkflation long before we got to the COVID. A lot of these phenomena were happening after the great financial crisis and never stopped. So, anywho. Supply chain pixelation, brothers and sisters. If I were you, I would, you know, I'd kind of take a look. Anyways, be on the watch for items that disappear and then reappear. Next topic. Next topic. Messing with people is like shaking a box of dynamite. There is a desire, a meme, a narrative that wants to convince you that all people, all humans have been reduced to slaves and we will not revolt. But if you actually have ever studied experiments on animals, because if you want to get right down to it, about one of the cruelest places you can be as a human... No, I was going to say human being, but that did happen. That has happened. One of the cruelest places you can be as a living thing, and mostly, mostly this doesn't apply to humans, one of the cruelest situations is to be a lab rat, to be an experimental subject in some experiment. And... In the worst case scenario, these can be experiments that will most likely result in you dying, no matter the results. There were lots of experiments with monkeys back in the 60s to deal with stress. And they would put these monkeys in situations that were intolerable, okay? Impossible situations. Eventually, these monkeys got heart attacks and, you know, had strokes and just died. But the fact is, if you study creatures in situations like that, Sure, you find compliance, but you also find just a lot of creatures that simply go to the corner of their room and die, the corner of their cage and die. And that may be the only form of rebellion they have, but that is the rebellion they have. That's, that's all they have left. What I am going to say, and this isn't about political philosophy, this, com this conversation is not about anarchism or economics or, or even necessarily science per se, although you could study it scientifically if we lived in a world where that was possible. But what I am going to propose is that you can't push people to this point. You can't push people to the point of madness and expect stable results. I think you can push people to the point of crazy and you can expect a lot of crazy, but I don't think you can build on it. I don't think you're going to construct a world out of it. Um, I think you need to think about that. We all need to consider that when we look at all these military psychological warfare operations. They are pushing people to their limit. What do you build on that? What do you create on that? If you're a Bond villain, what is the purpose of driving the world crazy? And again, you could say, well, Dan, they just want people to just kill each other and not attack the government. But the fact is, when people go completely insane, there's no telling what they're going to do. Anywho, this has been the Planetary Status Report, 5950 kilohertz, WRMI, out of Miami, Okeechobee, from the swamp, some monster will arise, will arise, from the swamp, some creature will come forth. We can think about the ancient times or the forward times. We can imagine ourselves in a space helmet, traveling with some sexy space goddess. We can dance with the stars. We can dig in, our, dig in to the ground and dig caves and tunnels. We can travel the islands off the coast of Antarctica. We can be free if we want to be. And you are free. You were born free. So be good out there, baby.